This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me on the phone, we have Yankees reporter for MLB.com, Brian Hoke. Hey there, Brian. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. And along with Brian, this time we have Mark Feinstein, an executive reporter for MLB.com, the host of the Executive Access Podcast and the co-author with Brian Hoke of the book Mission 27 about the Yankees 2009 World Series title. Mark, how you doing? I'm good, John. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. It's great to have both of you on here. Mark, you've been on a little bit over the course of this black hole of time, and Brian, you've been on a few times. And I don't want to suggest that we are at the finish line yet, necessarily, but I'm pretty excited about the fact that over the next half hour, hour, or whatever, let's uh, talk about baseball instead of all the stuff around baseball. It's a nice change of pace, isn't it? We're all very, <laughs> very happy about that. Yeah. I, I will say before we get started, I don't know how many of you follow Mark on whether it's Facebook or uh, Instagram or what have you. Uh, I hope you all do. And if you don't, uh, Mark, by all means, uh, make sure you give them your handles and everything like that. But if, if there's one thing to know about Mark Feinsand, it is that he is the world's foremost booster of summer camp. Um, in particular, Camp Westmont. So I've been truly, as I've been dealing with my own children losing out on summer camp this year and the hassle that has created for my wife and I uh, and me, uh, I've really been feeling for you, Mark. And I just want to know how you're handling uh, the idea of there not being a Camp Westmont this summer. Uh, probably better than my kids are handling it. But, you know, everybody's everybody's doing all right, getting through it. And, uh, you know, if that's the worst thing that happens to any of us during this pandemic, then uh, we're, we're in good shape. A very, very good point. John, I honestly thought you were going to say if there's one thing to know about Mark Feinstein, it's that he's deathly afraid of birds. But you went with the uh, summer camp thing, and so eh, I guess I can't argue with that. I, I have heard the bird. I've never witnessed the bird thing, per se. Uh, I have. Maybe I should have gone to Baltimore with you more often, but I, I definitely have heard about it. A day game in Oakland is the best time because the seagulls come in right around the seventh inning, and Mark just starts freaking out like, he, he thinks every bird is just going to attack him and, and try to eat him. So it's great. All right, guys. Well, it was good talking to you, and we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah, and yeah, I mean, all joking aside, but, you know, I, I bring up the summer camp thing because I don't know if we're calling this summer training or summer camp or spring 2.0. But either way, I mean, look, baseball's back, right? I mean, yay. It, it, what is it that you guys are hearing right now as players uh, are starting the process of reporting and teams are starting – 
everything that comes with opening up these camps. John, for starters, it's Summer Camp presented by Camping World. That is the official <laughs> name of our uh, spring training 2.0. So let's yeah, do, just, we, yeah. do we all get a royalty there or just you? How does this work? <laughs> oh, I get no royalty at all. I just know what's uh, I, I know what the official name is. And, you know, as a good employee of Major League Baseball, I just wanted to point that out. Honestly, though, what are the things as as of this moment, really? And again, we are kind of in this weird phase right now of these camps opening and everyone trying to figure out exactly how this works. What are some of the things you guys are hearing? I think it's just a, a sort of no man's land. It's the land of the unknown. Nobody has any idea sort of what what this is going to look like from a baseball standpoint. Uh, you know, teams taking three months off and they're three and a half months off and then coming back for a three-week, uh, you know, training camp before they go and start playing games. Uh, what a 60-game season is going to look like. Our pitcher is going to be ready. Our hitter is going to be ready. Um, you know, and then, of course, there's the – uh, there's a pandemic hanging over everybody's head of, uh, you know, are people going to be able to get through these things healthy and safe? Um, and, and are we actually going to be able to, uh, as an industry, pull this off? So I, there are so many uncertainties going into this that, uh, you know, I feel like every day we're going to learn something new. So, so let's do positives first. Brian, yeah, I, I want to hear from you here. What's the baseball going to look like? I mean, you know, there there are some rules differences. There are some changes that fans, you know, have probably heard about at this point. But but just can you break down for us a little bit on just what the game is going to look like in 2020? Well, I guess the biggest difference is just going to be that you're not going to have the fans in the stands, at least to start. And there's some optimism that perhaps that can happen at some reduced capacity down the road. But at least when opening day happens on Ju- uh, July 23rd or 24th, you're going to have a very empty ballpark. And if you remember that game where the Orioles played a few years ago, there was civil unrest in Baltimore and they played in that empty ballpark. Zach Britton was actually on that Baltimore team. And he said it was the the strangest experience he's had in a major league facility as a professional player, just playing in front of nobody. You can hear Gary Thorne's voice booming from the broadcast booth out to the bullpen and now change that and say, that's going to be every single night. And you're going to hear John Sterling out in the Yankee bullpen. I mean, just, uh, I think that's going to be very strange. Um, you know, I, I, some of the rule changes as far as you guys can't spit, guys can't have sunflower seeds, that kind of thing. I'm not too concerned about that. Um, I, I think that uh, the strangest thing to me, we, we had a call with Brian Cashman recently, and he said that if a player tests positive and goes on the COVID-19 IL, uh, legally they can't actually even tell us that. So you could just have a player that disappears for a few weeks and they technically can't tell you why he's gone. He said it's just going to be up to you to guess. So I think that's going to be very strange uh, the first time that happens when a, uh, you know you get a guy who's a late scratch from the lineup and then he's just gone for a while. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a very strange experience, I think, for all of us involved. I think that does, Colin, to make it very clear just – you know, this is fun and I'm glad we're getting to do this and we're talking about baseball. There are There is so much uncertainty right now, not just about the game itself, but about th- this disease still and what it does to your body in the long term. And I, I think that fans are never necessarily all that prone to giving players the benefit of the doubt and to seeing them, seeing them for their humanity and not just for their abilities. Uh, there's there's maybe a naive part of me that hopes that some of that might change this year and that maybe we'll realize that they are out there. Uh, yes, they're well compensated and, and and that's not nothing, but they're also 
putting themselves out there in ways that most of us, thankfully, have chosen not to put ourselves out there over the last few months. And I, I hope that maybe some of the way that we talk about players maybe changes a little bit this year. Yeah, I think the fact that that these guys are going to be going out under these conditions and, you know, Brian mentioned it before, things like no spitting and no sunflower seeds. I'm not so worried about those things. But that said, the players are going to have to undergo huge changes to their everyday routines. And the one thing you always hear about baseball players and athletes in general is that they are creatures of habit. And a hitter who's been playing in the league for 10 years probably has that routine down to a science, whether it's hitting in the indoor cage at a certain time every day, going to the weight room at a certain time every day, going to the trainer's room, to the cold tub, to the hot tub, to the sauna, whatever it may be. Well, a lot of those things are now either going to be eliminated or discouraged or not available to them. Uh, And all of a sudden, they're going to be trying to figure out a new routine that works under the rules that are in place now. Now, just as media rules are going to change, player rules change for the simple goal of trying to keep everybody healthy and trying to curb the spread of uh, of the virus. So I think they understand why it's happening. And obviously their union was was responsible in part for, uh, you know, agreeing to all these rules. But it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a routine changer for these guys to figure out how do they get ready to have their bodies performing in peak condition. Um, and so I think you're going to see the guys who are able to adapt better uh, and adapt quicker are going to be the ones who have more success right off the bat. Well, I mean, if you think about it, though, like usually we spend the first two weeks of the season. Granted, it's usually freezing cold in a lot of the country, but you're still kind of working your way back to, you know, regular season form for, I'd say, about two weeks usually. I mean, that's a quarter of the season <laughs> this year. Yeah, it's, it's going to be it's, it's going to be tough. And at some point, you presume Garrett Cole is going to make his first start as a Yankee. But how how many pitches is that going to be and what's it going to look like and how careful are they going to have to be whether he's winning or losing in the fifth inning or two times through the order, whatever they say it is. I think a lot of our perceptions watching the game are going to be changed by the obvious things around us, such as, as you said, no fans, but also just I, I do think it is a slightly different game we're going to be watching this year. It's going to have to be. And I think part of that is the concern over the player health, the fact that they ramped up during spring training. Now they went back into their offseason mode. Now they're ramping up again. You know, we talked to Matt Blake, the Yankees pitching coach in April, and um, that was around the time when we were thinking that spring training would restart in Tampa. And we asked him basically how, how much could you get these guys built back up again at that point? He was thinking guys could probably throw 55 to 65 pitches by the first week of the season whenever it did start after a three-week spring training so now we're talking about the idea that Garrett Cole who just signed this nine-year 324 million dollar contract makes his first start against the Washington Nationals in DC a rematch of last year's World Series and he's going to come out after 60 pitches teams are going to lean on their bullpens a lot early for that reason I I think that's going to be a widespread thing around the league but also all these games are so much more important than they would be under a 162 because you've only got 60 of them and you you'd better win or else you're you're staying home so i think that look in aaron boone's situation he's got a power bullpen but some of these teams that don't they're really going to have to push their starters a little harder and um i think that's going to be a dangerous game to play especially considering their bodies aren't used to this and have never gone through this before people talk a lot about the lack of fans in terms of you know a home field advantage and everything like that And, you know, I've been kicking around something for a long time about trying to understand the psychology of noise in a baseball game. Noise in baseball isn't like noise in football. Football, the offense wants quiet and the defense wants noise. In baseball, if you're a pitcher with two strikes at home, you want noise. 
why is that, you know, then harder when the opposing fans are getting on? Like, isn't it the same thing? I mean, it's just always been this weird idea for me that it seems like you should with decent mental conditioning be able to talk your be able to think your way out of. What I'm interested though about the lack of fans is things like how it affects the umpires and how it affects mm-hmm. maybe the managers. You know, there there's there are fewer cues that you're somewhat used to um about how things are happening out there. You know, hopefully it, it affects the managers not at all, because hopefully they're not working off just what the guy screaming behind the plate is saying, but it has to affect the umpires, right? I mean there there's there's just no way it wouldn't. I think it's going to affect everybody. I mean, it's just going to be a different, a different feel to what everybody who's on the field is used to. And, you know, even if they have, you know, three spring training games apiece to get a feel for it, that's not going to be enough. And the games, you know, spring training games are always a different animal to begin with. Uh, but, you know, can these guys, you know, a lot of them always talk about feeding off the crowd, right? Uh, well, you're not going to be having a crowd to feed off of. So, uh, you know, are they going to be able to get out there and, uh, and have that same intensity. It's gonna the whole thing's gonna be fascinating to watch. I, I'm I'm very intrigued. Just to add on to that for a second, Brett Gardner got run from a game last year for a case of mistaken identity. The the home plate umpire thought he heard Gardner say something. He got run. This year, the home plate umpires are going to hear everything because there's gonna be no crowd noise. So every comment, whisper, whatever that comes out of the home, the visiting dugout, the home plate umpire will hear that. And so I do wonder if they're going to have a quick trigger and, and start running guys, or are they going to not do that? Because, I mean, this is such a weird situation and uh, you don't want to eject anybody. So I, I guess that, yeah, yeah, I wonder if ejections will go up around the league because the umpires will hear every single thing. And then, of course, if that happens, the manager can't come out and argue because if he gets within six feet of an umpire, he's yeah. out of there too, and he's going to get fined and suspended. So, yeah, I, w- I would think everybody would have to uh, sort of, at least at the beginning, try to keep those tempers down a little bit. So what strikes you guys, I'm interested in both your opinions here, what strikes you guys as particularly, we know what's weird about a 60-game season. I think that's pretty obvious. What's fun about a 60-game season? Um, I'll start. I'll say that the idea that every team is basically on first in first place on July 23rd, um, we've never seen a season like that where everybody is just in it. And, you know, when you if you get off to a good start, if you're a young team like, say, the Toronto Blue Jays, who are not really ready for a 162-game marathon, but over 60, sure, they could win. I, I mean, go around the league and tell me uh, which team can't get hot for 60 games and get off to a good start. And, and if you say you start out 8-2, and two, um, you're in really good shape to make the playoffs. And, and But uh, if you're 8-2 and two in April, that's, that's generally not the case, although the fans get excited. So um, I, I think just the idea that every single team has a shot to make the playoffs at that late date in the calendar is something we haven't seen. A lot of teams are out of it by then. A lot of teams are building for next year. And, and this year, it's just going to be a sprint to the finish. I mean, last year, the Mariners were 13-2 and two to open the season. And uh, right. if that happens this year, that's, you're, you're halfway to the playoffs, essentially. Um, I, I'm intrigued to see sort of how the new rules come into play, whether it's the extra inning rule, whether it's the National League having the DH, um, whether it's the three-batter minimum, which was going to be instituted, whether this had happened or not. Um, you know, teams are going to have to be more aggressive with their bullpens, like we discussed earlier. But at the same time, you know, you're going to have the three-batter rule where you're putting an inexperienced reliever who might otherwise not even be in the big leagues under a normal circumstance. You put them into a game, they have to face three batters, whether you like it or not. So uh, there are just a lot of things that are going to be interesting to watch, certainly with the standings and uh, and the fact that it is a 
uh, you know, a 60-game sprint. What's going to happen August 31st at the trade deadline? You're going to be 35 games into the season with 25 to go. So do teams go all out and say we're in better position than we thought or we're not in as good a position as we thought? What do GMs do uh, with the trade deadline? That's going to be a pretty fascinating uh, you know, week or so leading up to that as well. Honestly, the the great unknown in all of this is how widespread the virus will be in baseball. What impact will that have on the 30 teams? You know, I know that of one manager who told his players to expect 30 to 40% of players to test positive around the league. And that, that is a staggering number. And I know we're seeing the cases explode across the board in the country. So, um, you know, fortunately, I, I think that uh, these guys are – in in the shape where it's not going to be a life-threatening thing, but it's certainly going to take them out of lineups and, and make them quarantine, and uh, they won't be able to play for their teams. And so uh, that is the great unknown in all of this. Uh, you know, how can uh, this, the health and safety regulations keep guys safe and, and on the field and, and healthy? And that's going to be, uh, I, I think, that more than anything else that changes. I mean, you, you talk about a three-batter rule or whatever, but if a team loses three of its starting pitchers or a star hitter, I, I just think that it's going to really impact their chances to put a representative lineup out there. And so I, I think that's the great unknown in all of it, and I'm fascinated and curious to see how it's going to play out. So I, I kind of have questions about both sides of that, though, because and, – and, and I'm not trying to be callous here when I say this, but, you know, last year the Yankees lost Luis Severino and Aaron Judge and were without Didi Rivorius for most of the season, and I can go down the list like this. No one questioned the legitimacy of that season. In fact, the Yankees still did very well. Again, I, I, I know in my head that it's different, but I guess maybe first off I'm, I'm wondering why it's different. But but the second question, and, and, and these are kind of both of the same point here, I wonder, because like I said, we're about to get into this point, we're probably in it a little bit already, where teams are beginning the process now of testing their players. And look, I mean, whether it's this weekend or Monday or, even, you know, even if it's already happening today as you're listening to this, the numbers are going to be higher than people want them to be, I assume. Is there a sense that there is a a specific level of pain threshold that MLB and its teams have for how high that number can be? They've talked about an outbreak is three or more. I mean, this is why they have a 60 man and this is why they've, you know, there's going to be, uh, it looks like some players down in Nashville, free two free agent teams of about 20 apiece uh, working out to, because they know there are going to be positive tests. They know there's going to be outbreaks and, and, you know, I don't think we're going to know sort of what the threshold, what the limit is of a team being able to handle it until it actually happens, you know, until, uh, you know, four starting pitchers from a rotation go down or something like that. Uh, but, you know, we've seen in, in the real world of baseball in regular years of, of, you know, a team losing four starting pitchers to the DL. And you know what? Uh, it may not, may not be the same quality pitcher, but you're going to have pitchers. So, uh, you know, teams do have the ability to add. And remember, when you, if it's COVID-related, they go on a special COVID list, and you can replace them on the 60 while somebody's on the COVID list. So uh, there are ways to replace them. But obviously, if the Nationals were to lose Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, uh, there's no way they can replace that on their roster. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a situation where we don't really know what the, what the limit is until we actually see it. The 2019 Yankees would have made a fantastic book um, <laughs> if they if they had gone all the way and 
and won the World Series, I think Mark and I would have done a real nice job on next man up, but it didn't work out. I hear you. Well, fair enough. Guys, why don't we take a, a quick break for a minute? When we come back, I think it's time to actually talk about the Yankees, though, and the 2020 Yankees and try to make sense of what we're going to be seeing over the next couple weeks and then once the season starts. So stick with us. Hi, this is Gleyber Torres. You are listening to Yankees Magazine Podcast. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Buckies in. The Yankees now lead by a score of three to two. Hey, folks, it's Bucky Dent. I'm proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We are gone about a minute and a half or just enough time to read the book that Brian and Mark did not write last year. So once again, congratulations on that, guys. It's now after all of this, and obviously there's more to come still, but let's talk about the 2020 Yankees. So we've talked about kind of what's weird about the 60-game season and the abbreviated summer camp presented by Camping World and all this other stuff. (laughs) How how do you like that? You know, how are the Yankees built for a 60 game season. John is just trying to get a free camper or something. You you want to go RVing up in the uh, the Poconos or something, don't you? I'm not getting on a plane anytime soon, so I'll take a camper right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Um look, they they were built very well for a marathon of 162. I thought that they were World Series favorites if not the Dodgers, but I mean certainly favorites to make it to the World Series in this league and um you know, anything can happen in this weird 60 game sprint, but if you look at last year's team they would have been in first place after 60 games in the American League East. So I, I think that when you have a quality roster the way they do, and I do think that this year's team in 2020 will be better than 2019 just by the fact that they added Garrett Cole. You took the ace from that Astros team, the team that knocked you out of the playoffs. You put him in your rotation, so you're stronger. Um, I, I think that uh, like the one knock against that team last year was, well, they don't have the starting pitching to go all the way. Now you do. So – Look, anything can happen over a 60-game sprint. You're going to have a small sample size. Some wacky things are probably going to happen. But I think that this team is well-built not only for the marathon but for the sprint as long as they can stay healthy, and that's a great unknown, and it was last year as well. Yeah, the health is the biggest issue, obviously, and it always is. But certainly in a sprint of a season, uh, it becomes even a bigger issue because – uh, you know, over 162, if you lose a guy for a month, you can sort of wait that out and know you're going to get him back for the bulk of the season. Here, if you miss somebody for a month, that's the equivalent of losing them for 80 games uh, in a regular season. So health is going to be crucial. You know, the one thing I think when you look at the American League, 
the Astros have been the team that have been the, the biggest challenger and, and certainly have gotten the best of the Yankees a couple times here in the last few years. They didn't necessarily get better, and the Yankees took their best pitcher. So uh, I think that certainly puts the Yankees ahead of them. I'm intrigued by what Minnesota did this offseason, uh, you know, adding Josh Donaldson, adding Maeda, a couple other guys to that roster. Um, I really liked what they did. And, you know, the Rays are always going to be tough, but th- there's no reason that you should go into this season looking at anybody other than the Yankees as the favorites to, to come out of the American League. And then if they run into the Nationals and their pitching staff or if they run into the Dodgers, uh, anything can happen. But uh, going in, the Yankees are built as well as anybody in the AL. You know, you look at the way the schedule is built this year, and I actually wonder, obviously, the Red Sox don't have Chris Sale. They have all the other drama with, with, with that team that went on as well. I almost wonder if the hardest part for the Yankees during the regular season will be those games against the NL East, where you're facing the Phillies and you're facing the Braves and you're facing, obviously, the Nationals. I mean, the, the, those right now, to me at least, seem like the toughest games on the schedule. Don't sleep on the Mets either because they're going to play them six times and there's a good chance they could see Jacob DeGrom twice in those in those six games, along with some of the other guys in that rotation. And that lineup certainly got better. And if Cespedes is healthy, uh, that could be a dangerous team as well to just overlook. So, yeah, the, they're going to have 20 games against the uh, the NL East and uh, you know the Marlins aren't even easy out at this point but even if you put those aside 16 of those games are going to be very difficult and when you look at the Yankees uh, if you think that Tampa Bay is going to be their toughest competition in the East well the Yankees are going to get six games against the Mets and the Rays are going to get six games against the Marlins so uh, who who wins out there that's always kind of been the case for their early play it just it, it's like everything else this year it's just so much more pronounced this year that the advantages and disadvantages that come from little squ- scheduling quirks like that. It, it, it could either be great to watch or it can be infuriating depending on what side you're coming at it from. If you're in the National League Central, you're looking at playing games against the you know, the Royals and the Tigers who were in a total rebuild, the White Sox who were supposedly going to be better, but we haven't actually seen it on the field yet. Uh, the Indians who took a step back, but they're still a formidable team. And then the Twins, but uh, you know, so so National League teams are, you know, saying, well, wait, look at what Central's going to get. And if you're in the East, you're playing the Yankees and the Rays and you know, the Blue Jays with that young lineup and the Red Sox still have some hitters. And, uh, you know, what the heck? You're both sleeping on the Baltimore Orioles. Nobody is, nobody's going to join them in the, in the wild card chase. <laughs> hey, you know what? The, the Orioles, though, the the time. Uh, no, I, I believe me. I'm, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, stop, stop, I'm, stop. No, no. You, you, I'm not. I'm not for a second suggesting that uh, th- these are teams that are going to compete. What I am suggesting, though, and what I hope for out of this season is that we get the chance to see some young players that might, in a normal situation, not have been up. I hope the Orioles games are more fun to watch this year because you you know I, I hope that we're seeing some of those draft picks from the last few years because even though I'm not naive enough to think that the Orioles are going to contend with the Yankees here. It is an easier route to contention and you have to do less. And, and if your best players are your youngest players, you have to play them this year. I think you, you can't do this normal stuff. You know, I'm, I'm being flip and joking around here, but I do think that it's a great opportunity for a team like Baltimore. You're in that position. I mean, bring your guys up, let's see them, you know, and they, they, you can bring a guy up who, might have been in double A this year under normal circumstances, but what do you have to lose? Let's they have nowhere else to go anyway. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So bring him up to the big league level. Let him get that development time here. Um, you know, you, you start his clock and, and do all that, so you have to consider that. But, hey, this is a great opportunity to get a guy some big league experience. If you're a team that was not expecting to contend this year anyway, 
Um, this could actually accelerate the development of some of your top prospects, I think. I don't want to throw cold water on that theory, but if you're a team that does not expect to contend, you are not going to spend a year of service time or or even a big chunk of a year of service time for a player who is not going to help you get anywhere. Uh, you might put him on that 60-man player pool so he can play with you know maybe some better competition in the intra-squad games and stuff like that. But if you have a chance to hold that out to next year and let him play a full season for that service time, I think that's where you're going to go. Uh, you're no fun. <laughs> I am no fun. But that's not the first time you said that. That's right. You know, you guys mentioned the uh, Nationals, obviously. First off, it's the fact that they're defending World Series champions, so you need to respect that. And then you look at the pitching staff and, oh, wow, you really have to respect that. Have we somewhat lost sight of just how good the Dodgers are because they took one year off from the World Series? I mean, they do have Mookie Betts now also. And David Price, obviously. I, I don't know that we've overlooked it, but we've seen the Dodgers be the best team before and get beaten uh, either in the World Series or in the playoffs. And I just think the Nationals right now, when you look at that one, two, three, if those guys are doing what they're capable of doing and, uh, you know, they're as dangerous as the Dodgers. Are they better than the Dodgers? No. I mean, the, the, the Nationals lost Anthony Rendon. They lost their best player, uh, arguably, this offseason, and that's got to hurt them to some extent. But again, you go with that that one, two, three, I just don't think you can overlook them. And I think one thing the Nationals will have going for them is we talk every year about the World Series effect on teams the following season, right? After the Red Sox won in 18, Sales' arm wasn't right, Evaldi's arm wasn't right, Price's arm wasn't right, all these guys who pitched all these big inning numbers came back and they didn't have as much time to rest in the offseason and you saw them carry it over into the following season. Well, the Nationals guys have been resting for the last three months. So the, you know, Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin can go into this 60 game sprint. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, they're going to go out and throw hundred innings in 60 games, but they're not going to, they shouldn't go into this season with the dead arm situation that we've seen so many teams come back from the world series and have. Um, and so I think that that could work to their advantage as well. That's a great point. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering from your perspectives, what is spring training going to look like right now? We, we, we have in our heads from combined like 60 years doing this. I can't believe I'm saying, but just we know what spring training looks like. We know what to expect. We know the routine. You could change the manager. You could change the facility, but we know what a spring training day looks like. What is spring training going to look like in this situation? Like nothing you've ever seen before. And, and part of it is the fact that the Yankees, for example, are coming up north and using Yankee Stadium, a facility that was never supposed to do something like this. And there's a, there's a reason that Brian Cashman said that their preference was to stay down in Tampa. Obviously, circumstances forced them to go to a second option, but they are scrambling to figure out how to use every aspect of available space up there. So you're going to have guys use dressing in the home clubhouse, the visiting clubhouse, the auxiliary clubhouse. Um, you're going to have to use both bullpens. You're going to use the batting cages that are in the visiting uh, clubhouse as well as the home clubhouse. Um, you know, it's possible you could see pitchers doing their flat, flat ground throwing in the Great Hall, which is uh, that fan concourse down the right field line where usually, um, you know, it's filled with hot dog vendors and people buying t-shirts and you're going to have the Yankees throwing in there. Um, they might move the training tables up onto the concourse where the fans go on the 100 level uh, just so the guys can get their work done in an, an area that's more open air rather than uh, downstairs in the clubhouses. So uh, this is going to be like nothing we've seen before. I have no doubt that 
uh, the Yankees, the city of New York, Major League Baseball, they're all going to try to put the best practices in place. But it's going to be a lot of change in a very short period of time. And I'm curious if we're even going to have coffee in the press box or, you know, just little things like that that you really took for granted. Um, I think everybody, everything is going to change and it's just going to be different than we've ever seen it before. I will correct one thing. We're not going to see any of it because no one's going to be allowed in the same areas where the players are doing their stuff in some of these odd places. Uh, we'll have to have to take their word for it when they tell us that that's where they were. Yeah, I might see video, right? Uh, I guess it's possible. Sure. And look, you, the three of us, I mean, I, I don't want to overstate kind of our, our role here, but you know, in, in a lot of ways we are storytellers who, 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 who try to really just work our angles to try to get some unique information and, and unique stories and observe things. I'm wondering how you two feel like you're going to approach that aspect of your job this year when you're seeing so much less, when you're having almost no one-on-one interaction with these guys. Have, have you thought at all about how you approach actually that part of your job this year? Go ahead, Brian. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put me on the spot. Um, I think we, we're going to have to see how it plays out because this is such a foreign atmosphere that I can't even really relate to it yet. Um, just the idea of, I mean, there was a period where I figured I wasn't walking into Yankee Stadium in 2020. I, I just figured we were going to come back in 2021, and then the Yankees might play their home games at Steinbrenner Field, but uh, New York just didn't look like an option. And so we're all very much just day-to-day kind of trying to roll with it like other, ever, like everybody in uh, every walk of life. I mean, this has really turned everything upside down, and you're going to adapt. We're going to find new ways to do things. I never had Zoom before all this. I never even heard of it. And now I, I, it's indispensable. So we're all just kind of trying to find new ways to do what we've done before, but we know we, we can't do it the way it was done before, at least until there's a vaccine. And this is the new reality. I mean, we're, we're in this new world and, you know, it's adapt and overcome and find a way. Yeah, I think it's just going to be a matter of, of sort of figuring it out as we go along. Uh, it's going to be different. The coverage is going to be different. But I think with everything going on in the country and the world right now, people just accept that that is, that is what it is. And there are much bigger issues out there um, than what a game story is going to look like or, you know, maybe not having as many features. Look, we've all gotten really creative in the last three plus months uh, filling content uh, without any games and any access to people. So we're just going to have to continue to be creative and try to get some people on the phone and, the people involved in the game, whether it's the teams, whether it's the player association and the players themselves, they understand what the publicity does for them. And I think you'll, you'll see more cooperation from people to try to help get some of those stories out there, but you know, it's going to be a challenge. There's no question about it. Let's uh, let, let's put on those reporter hats for just one second though. Uh, Brian earlier this week, you mentioned you had a call with Brian Cashman and obviously some, some stuff has started to come out now. You know, one question that I came into this week really wondering about a lot was Aaron Hicks. We saw last year what a eight monthish re- rehab from Tommy John surgery could look like with Didi Gregorius. And I would say, you know, it went okay. Um, w- w- what do you hear about Aaron Hicks right now in terms of where, where you think he is in that process? Well, the good news is he's right on schedule. He hasn't had any setbacks and um, he's hitting from both sides of the plate. So that is all encouraging. But like you saw with Didi last year, he came back in June. So he was pretty much on the same timetable. Hicks is actually going to be a little behind uh, where Didi was. But you know, I think that Didi would agree he wasn't quite himself last year. It took him um, probably until the All-Star break to feel comfortable. He didn't really even feel like part of the team in that first half. And he wasn't doing as fun like, 
uh, post-game tweets and stuff because he just felt so disconnected. And, um, and that turned around a little bit in the second half. But if you look at his stats, he, he wasn't the same player uh, coming back. So I think, um, you know, it's one thing to be healthy and on the field and pain-free. It's another to get all that pop and power back. So Hicks, in his case, I think he's got in his favor. He's a fantastic athlete. He should be able to bounce back, no problem. Yeah, I just think it's going to take a little time. So will he be exactly where he was at the beginning of last year? I don't know. But I I can tell you that um, all indications are he looks good. He's been uh, working out down in Arizona. He was in Tampa before um, things got moved up to New York. So he should be ready to go, I would imagine, in center field for the Yankees on opening day, which is uh, crazy because we're talking about a guy who had Tommy John surgery and wound up not missing a game, potentially. So let's just go rapid fire here. I think the other guys up worth updating, obviously Aaron Judge, James Paxton, Giancarlo Stanton. Do you want to just give the the quick update you got from Cashman there? Yeah, sure. Uh, Judge, uh, there is optimism that he will be ready for opening day. I think it's it's been slow going with him, but he has been able to resume hitting and throwing. Um, he obviously took advantage of the time down there in Tampa because he didn't have a, an opening day to get ready for. He was able to finally let that cracked rib rest, and uh, that's really what he needed the most out of. Uh, so if he's able to come into spring training and Uh, play the outfield and start hitting off live pitching. And that's the thing for all these guys. They're going to need those reps again in game situations at full speed. You know, it's one thing to hit off a tee or hit soft toss in the cage. Uh, It's another when you're trying to hit a guy 95 miles an hour breaking stuff. So um, I think you'll see Judge and Hicks adapt to that. Um, The other guys I have less concern about. I think that uh, James Paxson probably would have been ready to go sometime in May. Uh, coming back from back surgery, he, he all indications are he looks really good and uh, should be ready to slot into the rotation. And um, as far as Stanton goes, you know, it's kind of curious that Cashman mentioned that Giancarlo Stanton should be ready to DH, but may not be able to play the outfield. And um, you know, this is a this is a calf strain that occurred in late February. So the fact that that's still lingering. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me wonder if maybe he re-aggravated at some point. Maybe he had to return to zero, and, and now he's recovering from that again. But either way, the idea that he should be in the Yankee lineup, we just don't know if he can play the outfield. Maybe he doesn't have to play the outfield anyway. You're going to have Hicks. You're going to have Gardner. You're going to have Judge, potentially. you got Talkman and Clint Frazier uh, fighting for a spot. So you don't necessarily need John Carlos Stanton to play the outfield, but it would be nice to know that he could. Cool. Well, I'm going to put you guys on the spot each for the last question here. Apologize in advance for this. I, I think you've heard some fun questions. Is this the season someone hits 400, for example, just because of uh, of the shorter sample? What's a wild prediction you're going to make of just something that could only happen in 2020? I would say maybe a starting pitcher having an ERA below one. That would okay. be the only thing. Like, like a crazy – because the truth is even a hitter hitting 400 – We've seen guys have a two-month stretch where they've hit 400. And, uh, I mean, I wouldn't predict that it's going to happen, um, but I just – I think that's possible. But, you know, you don't see starting pitchers with the ERAs below one. And I think we've seen guys have 60-game stretches where that's happened. And so your ERA for the for the 2020 season could potentially be that low. And I think it would be uh, it'd be pretty interesting to see a guy just get that hot for, you know, nine-plus weeks. So you heard it, Yankees fans. Mark Feinstein just predicted Garrett Cole with a sub one ER. I can't what? believe we're not making bigger news about this prediction. Wait a minute, that, who, who, who said it was Cole? Maybe, maybe it's Paxton. You never that's know. Something. That's something. What about you, Brian? 
It will be, you know what? I like that a lot. I like the idea that, um, let's say it is Garrett Cole and he wins the AL Cy Young because he went eight and two with a 1.1 ERA. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. You know, I I was going to go with the 400 thing, but I kind of like where Mark went better. Um, Just to see that kind of Bob Gibson-like number would be pretty cool. You know, rate rate stats are the only ones where we really have a chance to see something kooky because, uh, you know, counting stats, we know that no one's going to hit, you know, 73 home runs this year in 66 games or 60 games. That would be pretty impressive if somebody broke Barry Bonds' record. Um, <laughs> but, you know, obviously any counting stat that goes over 162, you're not going to see broken in 60 games. But the rate stats, you know, anything's, anything's possible when it comes to batting average or ERA or, uh, you know, something like that. So... I think those are going to be the ones. But but even if somebody hits 400, even if somebody has an ERA below one, I, I'm not saying there's going to be an asterisk next to it in the official record book, but I think people will understand that it happened in a shortened season where, you know, this was not a six-month grind that they went through and maintained a 400 batting average. It'll be an impressive feat nonetheless, but I think that will be looked at differently. That said, I, I don't look at – assuming that everything gets played out to completion – I think if so, whichever team wins the World Series, they're the World Series champions to me. I don't think that deserves an asterisk because they're going to go through uh, a full postseason. Nobody, nobody looks at the Dodgers' 1981 championship with a crooked eye, and I don't think this year's champion should have uh, you know, any sort of a, a notation to their season if they win the championship either. Well, guys, I, I certainly can't thank you enough for joining us. We've been fill. I mean, you guys too. I know we've just been filling time so much on these podcasts, trying to talk around the fact that there was no baseball. And while there still is not baseball yet, it it was wonderful, wonderful to spend some time talking to you guys about baseball. Thanks so much. I know that like all fans, I'm going to be re- relying extra heavily on you guys this year to try to help us make sense of what we're seeing. And in a lot of cases, make sense of what we're not seeing. So good luck. Thank you both so much. And I have to say, in addition to everything else, if, you, if you'll indulge me for just one second, this has been probably the the weirdest year for this country in a very long time. And I think that a lot of our time indoors probably you know has given us some chances to think about some things that maybe we had chosen not to think about for a while or had not really understood enough to think about before. But, you know, as we just get ready for this weekend for what will obviously be a very strange Independence Day and a strange use of that word, uh, you know, I, I do think that it's important that we do take time to realize just with all the hard stuff that we're seeing and all the stuff that we do wrong a lot of the time just uh, to appreciate some of the things that we do have and some of the things that make uh, you know us very lucky. Uh, for me, that's just, you know, it's it's getting to spend some time with you guys and uh, to our listeners and to our readers and everything like that. That's just something that's I'm extremely grateful for always. Mark, Brian, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. And to everyone else, we're, we're getting closer. So please follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. Yankees Magazine, we are ramping up uh, production again to put some magazines out. So if you're a subscriber, you're going to start getting them again soon. If you're not yet, go to Yankees.com slash publications and do subscribe. You can listen to this podcast, obviously, wherever you found it, or at yankees.com slash podcasts, where we also have the Deep Left with Bucky Dent podcast. I hope you're listening to that one, guys. And everything else, look, I can't wait until two weeks from now when spring training's underway or whatever, summer camp's underway, and, you know, then two weeks from then when I think we're going to have baseball games. In the meantime, everyone be safe. Don't hurt yourself with any fireworks, and I will speak to you soon. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Tom. You got it. Hi. This is Adam Adovino. For more stories like these, subscribe to Yankees Magazine by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS.
The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today. 